Join us and 1,200 plus other investors at the premier event for commercial real estate pros at the 2024 Best Ever Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Get exclusive economic insights from top industry economists, learn actionable strategies to scale your business, expand your network, and discover new investment opportunities. Use our exclusive promo code SPBEC24 to save 10% on your ticket. Visit www.besteverconference.com to learn more. Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Christopher Melling. And Chris recently joined Avison Young as a principal in their downtown Los Angeles office with a specialization in investment sales. He's had a successful track record of selling diverse properties such as apartment buildings, retail shopping centers, office buildings, and industrial office warehouses. He also brings extensive experience in 1031 tax-deferred exchanges, receiverships, foreclosures, and bankruptcy cases. So Chris, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Real well, Eileen. Thank you for having me. So Chris, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. Well, I... um was a finance major in college and was fascinated with investment banking and quickly found out that either I needed to get an MBA from uh, Wharton or MIT or Stanford and be on Wall Street. And I didn't really want to do that. Then I got introduced through an internship through an investment real estate. And that to me was sort of the combination of using my skills in finance and marketing and being able to be solution-oriented for clients and their investment real estate needs. And so that I gravitated towards that, found my passion early, and it's been now almost 34 years. What was the difference when you got into the investment real estate side as an internship? What did you realize going into that field versus investment banking on Wall Street and what your initial thoughts were? Sure. Well, one of the things is that real estate is tangible and you can see it, feel it, touch it, experience it. It addresses a need, whether it's housing and multifamily, whether it's office for professional workplace environments retail for shopping, and then industrial for businesses and commerce and logistics to get goods and services to people. So it really fascinated me. And the opportunity to grow wealth through real estate was very appealing. On the investment banking side, it was sort of intrigued to me in terms of how to acquire companies, figure out where with new management and governance, how you can improve the company, grow that business, look at ways of trimming sort of the expense side to boost EBITDA. And it was fascinating to me, but it really wasn't something tangible that I could really sink my teeth in. And so real estate was something that I kind of was born into. My dad 
was a developer and he built a lot of homes and apartment buildings. And so at a very young age, I would tag on job sites and construction sites. And so I had some familiarity with it, but the development side was something that was a little too dirty. I kept on falling into cement pits and my mom would hose me down before I'd get in the house. And so I equated that side of real estate as uh, sort of the dirty part of the business. Finance, money, it really intrigued me. And that's where uh, I stuck with investment real estate. So could we find some of your handprints on some of those development sites? Not just my handprints, probably my old body prints. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. My dad would be talking to the subcontractors and contractors and I'd be running around. And next thing you know, he couldn't find me and I'd be coming back and I'm covered in wet cement or drywall dust. And he's like, what have you been doing? You know, so that's leaving your mark on the place. <laughs> exactly. So Chris, fast forward to today. What are you focused on today? So I run a team with my brother, who's my partner of about seven. And our focus is primarily in the retail sector. And we have some of our junior associates on our team that do the agency leasing for owners of multi-tenant shopping centers. And the model is real simple. We've got clients that basically, and our book of business is both on the private client side, which is high net worth individuals, family offices, some private equity and developers. And then we have our institutional book, which is pension fund advisors, institutional finance companies and institutions that have real estate as an asset class in their portfolio life companies, et cetera. And under that subset, we have a distressed book of business, which I'll get into, such as REO and special servicing, CMBS, real estate sales. But our clients are saying, look, I want to sell my shopping center, but I've got 40% vacancy. So we will then lease up the property. And with the commitment that if we move the needle, we'll then get the investment sale. And so we just replicate that for a lot of our clients and are very, very happy with that model. And it works well for us. At the same time, we have a very large net lease side of the practice where we sell ground leases and build a suits, whether it's quick serve retail, drug stores, grocery stores, anything that's standalone or a separate parcel in a larger shopping center, a Home Depot, for example, we get involved in that because there's a whole separate client base that deals and likes to have that type of coupon clipper type investment, which is, is similar to a bond with a long-term absolute triple net lease and a very, very desirable for the passive investor. So for the lease up to sale side of the business, so you're taking over the property, leasing it up, getting it more to stabilize the value so that you're able to turn it around and sell it at a better rate than otherwise. Correct. Correct. And then the client, therefore, will either just monetize the asset and recycle that either through a 1031 exchange for either a larger property or a more passive investment, such as a single tenant, or it, just a distribution to the partnership and close out that entity. So how long does it take up once you take over the lease of the property to stabilize it and to get it ready? It depends. What we've found recently, and this I say just in the last couple of years, 
being kind of through the pandemic and now having exited out of it is retail had a resurgence, a very positive resurgence in the open air strip center to neighborhood to lifestyle and power centers where we have a tremendous amount of tenant demand looking for space. And anything from a thousand square feet to 10,000 square feet is leasing fairly quickly. And so if the property is well kept and it's well positioned, and we look at it from a marketing mix of the right tenants, it will be a very successful center and therefore translate into higher value, lower cap rate on an exit strategy. So what we're finding is we're taking assignments where either other brokerage houses have failed for whatever reason, but we're finding success and landlords are absolutely outstanding saying, look, I've had this space vacant for three years and in three months, you guys have this leased. How did you do it? So maybe it's timing, maybe it's luck, or maybe it's just the way we market and transact, but we're finding it very, very active in that sector right now. So then once you lease it up and lease up the property, do you also assist in the 1031 exchange once the owners are ready to sell it off? That's correct. So from sort of we're soup to nuts, right? So we kind of map out a strategy with the client saying, okay, so first things first, we're going to lease up your property. Great. Okay. Terrific. So once we do that, then value what the shopping center would be on a go-to-market strategy and where we expect it to trade. And then knowing that data and that information, we can then see what are the net proceeds that would be coming out of that sale and then look at opportunities based on what the client's needs are, whether it's another shopping center or a single tenant net lease property. And we talk to them about what's their goal. Is it for estate planning purposes, for their kids? And instead of buying just one property, should we buy two or three, a couple of McDonald's, a Jack in a Box, a Chick-fil-A, a Cane's? And once we have all that data, then we just execute and make it happen. And we have many, many cases where we have situations where siblings don't patriarch and matriarch of the family. They don't necessarily want to own property together. They kind of want to have their own of just to keep peace in the family. So again, considerations as to location based on where people live and what really they're interested in. There's in the automotive space, you've got O'Reilly's and AutoZone, which are publicly traded companies that provide auto parts and very well-established companies, very healthy balance sheets. And so if people aren't interested in a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A, we have other alternative investments that would suit them. Where do you see the retail center space going in today's market? And is it still a good space to get into in real estate? It is. And again, it starts with the location. If it's good real estate, no matter what's on it, it'll always be good real estate. So we look at that first, and then we look at the tenant mix and the demand. And if there's ways to improve the marketing mix of the tenants to serve the community and patrons of the property, then there's tremendous benefit and tremendous upside. 
And when you look at certain locations that are infill supply constraint, where there's no further retail development uh, possible, and you've got the density of population demographics and traffic count and pedestrian count. And now with AI technology, we can track how people shop and what their habits are. And if they go and do a workout at a gym in a shopping center, where do they go after that? Do they go get a Jamba? Do they go to the bank? Do they go get a Starbucks? If we don't have those tenants in our property, that's valuable data, valuable information. So we can then show that to Starbucks, show that to Jamba and say, hey, you guys need to be here. And so that leads to our success. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So how are you evaluating the community's needs for what might best serve them for the tenants in that retail space? Well, we talk to the community. We talk to business leaders, city governance, and we say, what is your vision? What would you like? Help us out. So we engage the public, we engage the community, and because we want them to have, in essence, sort of some ownership in terms of will they spend money, will they utilize the property and patronize the center. The worst thing anybody could do, whether it's an owner or a broker, is put the wrong tenants in the wrong shopping center for the community. And again, you just have to understand and take the extra step to really engage and listen and find out what works and what doesn't and what the community wants. And then all you have to do is find it and make it happen. So how do you appeal to those businesses and the potential tenants? Once you've identified the right types of tenants for this space, how do you appeal to them and how do you get them to come lease up the retail space? Well, we show them the data. There's a lot of ways that we can show them traffic counts. We can show them density, a lot of demographics based on income, ethnicity, and population. We do what is called a void analysis. So based on the type of use, we look at, okay, what is missing in this market? Is it Asian concepts? Is it pizza concepts? Is it burger concepts? Just go through all the categories and find out what else are we missing anything and reach out to the community. And we either have brief surveys or we send out very quick emails saying, what would you like to see in this property? 
and you get all kinds of information. Some of it is valid. Some of it is like, oh, wow, we didn't think about that. Okay, perfect. And so one example is we never thought about this, but there happened to be a very large pet population in this community, and they needed a dog grooming and a dog boarding. We're like, oh, wow, great. So we've sourced that and was able to address that need. And as a result, the community supported it tremendously. The business owner was thrilled. And of course, the landlord was very, very happy because they were able to fill a very large space that was not traditional retail because it had limited frontage, but yet it was perfectly suitable for the needs of a pet groomer and a pet boarding. So how does this single tenant retail space versus a multi-tenant retail space perform in comparison? Well, they're they're different. So multi-tenant, you're spreading your risk because you have multiple tenants as part of the investment. With a single tenant property, you're looking at just one source of income, whether it's structured as a ground lease or as a build a suit. But if the lease is absolute triple net, what I mean by that is that the tenant is responsible not just for the rent, but on the expense side, the taxes, the insurance, the maintenance, and the utilities, and CapEx, so roof, wall, and structure, parking lot. In other words, there is zero landlord exposure from an expense side to the point where the tenant has the landlord as an additional insured on their policy. So if somebody drives through the front door of a McDonald's, McDonald's corporate is taking care of it. It's not going to be a phone call that comes to the landlord. Now, I'm sure they would, but at the end of the day, it's not an issue that the landlord has to deal with. And those types of investments are very desirable for high net worth individuals and family offices that have created wealth and want to preserve it, but yet don't want to be active management investors for the retail. And they're at a point in their life where literally you can put it on a shelf and sort of forget about it. And these assets could be anywhere. So for example, a KFC in LA is a KFC in St. Louis or in Dallas. Same thing for a Chick-fil-A or a McDonald's. So it just depends on the location, right? But at the same time, you know what you're getting. And the same thing goes for Starbucks and Chipotle and all that. So we have our investors who invest all across the country. And some of the benefits are tax-free states. And so they take advantage of that. A lot of them basically have second homes and use that as a way to uh, go see their properties, et cetera, et cetera. So what's next for you, Chris? Well, we have through this cycle right now, and we've always done this since the early 90s, but we are very involved with both balance sheet lenders and commercial mortgage-backed security lenders on the distressed book of business. So we sell a lot of REO assets for banks, life companies that basically are in trouble. So these are assets that multitude of reasons. One, undercapitalized borrowers, problems with the property. They're at a high basis on what their acquisition price was. They've run out of money or there's existing loans 
that are maturing and in today's environment cannot refinance and therefore are stuck and they don't want to put any more money into the asset and therefore they're going to have to give it back through foreclosure. And on the commercial mortgage-backed security side, special servicing, these are larger assets and we are very involved with either the receivers that are appointed on these assets and sell the properties or directly as REO with the asset managers of the special servicers. So that is a part of our business that is very active right now and will continue to be so. Even as we're seeing some green shoots with some CPI information about whether or not the economy is going to have a soft landing and no recession, or if the Fed is still going to take a very hawkish position on raising rates for the balance of this year. So it's still wait and see, but unfortunately, there is some distress and we're engaged on those assets to sell. So Chris, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Oh, it's been basically a integral part of my life from a wealth creation standpoint. It gives me a purpose in what I do into helping clients grow their wealth through real estate. On the institutional side, same thing, but just a different type of profile. And it's fun and it's great and it's exciting and it's different. And every day is a new challenge. And you never know when that phone's going to ring and there's an opportunity on the other end. So it really drives me, drives my team and everybody I work with. And if there's one thing that you know today about real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Oh gosh, I have many, but I'll share one thing with you. It is basically the adage of location, location is still true when will always be true. You cannot underestimate the quality of a location of a piece of real estate and the long-term benefits of that. A lot of people have made money on not very well-located or established properties, but you run the risk of investing in an asset that may not have much appreciable value and, if anything, may have a consistent headache and issues going forward. So quality locations is really the key driver in commercial real estate. And what is the one thing that sets successful people apart in real estate investing? I would say staying focused and really being a constant student of the game, understanding what works and what doesn't work, engaging with your tenants. And what I mean by that is in a retail context, partner with your tenants, find out how they're doing business-wise, what are their sales, Get them to report because in essence, you're their partner as a landlord and you want them to be successful so they can pay you rent. And you want to also pay attention to your properties and not like neglect them. It's always frustrating when we get involved and clients are saying, hey, I need your help with our property. And we go to the site and we look at it and said, God. I wouldn't shop here. I wouldn't eat here. This place is disgusting. It has been so much deferred maintenance, not well-maintained. And so you have to really be involved in tune with 
your assets and not just take them for granted. Because what happens then is there's a certain point where properties get stigmaed and it's a very challenging uphill climb to get out of that and kind of rebrand and re-image a property if patrons in the community know it as a certain unkept, unsanitary environment. So So Chris, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Well, they can reach me at my office, which is 213-618-3824. Also mobile, 213-364-7222. And my email is chris.maling, M-A-L-I-N-G, at avisonyoung.com. And that's A-V-I-S-O-N-Y-O-U-N-G.com. Chris, thank you so much for all of your time. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.